Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? We're going to take a bit of a dive in your book. Okay. And I'm going to I'm going to quote something I read about plantation theory, which is the name of your book. And I'm not saying the subtitle for a reason. So we'll get into that. Okay. 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 Um, but I am going to read this quote. It challenges the status quo, urges future generations of black excellence to recognize how much power they wield and evaluate closely the benefits and the detractors of choosing to work in corporate America. From cover to cover, black professionals are faced with an urgent question. Why work twice as hard for half the recognition and third of the pay? Oof, I'm going to need you to talk about that. Those are bars. I want to know who wrote that so I can send them. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. So that that is a great summation. I mean, it's there's so much more, but what they tapped into is, is something that I'm really passionate about, and that's us questioning the operating system in which we were programmed. And, and what I mean by that, specifically Black folks, and JD, you could probably relate, the imperative that was communicated to us by our parents was go to school, get a degree, get a good job, work 30 years, retire, and die. Mm-hmm. That's been the programming since, you know, <laughs> the industrial age right. at this point, mm-hmm. right? And so you have to ask, well, is that still serving us? Is that programming, is it, is it aligned to the operating system that we now have to operate on today, which now we have access to a large extent. Mm-hmm. We don't have some of the legislative constraints that our prior generations did. We have more access by way of digital technology and communication to reach you know, all over the world in ways that prior generations didn't have access to. So, so is that necessarily the same programming that we should be taking forward? And so the question becomes, when do we reevaluate our relationship with work and define who are the beneficiaries of our excellence? And if it's not us, why not? Mm. And why do we continue to push this, this rock uphill to make white spaces safer mm-hmm. rather than making more black spaces Listen. And so I'm pushing us to question these premises. I love that. Look, I, I don't believe there is a seat at the table. I believe we have to create our own table and our own seats. It's a huge problem because we're constantly, when you reach a certain level, you're wanting to make more money and you're wanting to grow and you want to keep going. And each level, you have to sell out more and more. And to what end? To what end? There's a cost for the climb cost. And we're not told about that cost. What we don't know is when we look at these, you know, these models of success where you can see, you know, in the past 66 years, there's been 21 black CEOs of Fortune 500 companies out of a total 1800 since Fortune has even been doing Fortune 500. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, well, what do those 21 black CEOs possess that I don't? And when you break it down and you really get into it and you see, okay, well, nine out of those 21 were lawyers, 
from either Harvard or Stanford, 10 out of those 21 were MBAs from pedigree historically white institutions, and only two outliers were engineers. Wow. And so when you go back to the lawyers, you start to say, okay, what is it that lawyers know that gets them to these positions of power and influence? And when you start to understand the language of law, which is the language of risk mitigation of power. Mm. And if unless you have access or in proximity or grew up in these spaces, then you don't speak that language. And I dare say, those who have reached the highest heights of leadership in this country, and I even inc- include the president of the United States, it's the highest office in the land, how much of their identity had to be suppressed in order to gain access? And what trade-offs did they make that maybe they don't sleep so well at night, mm. having made? Look. You don't, you don't know. <laughs> you, you don't know, except for you see how many are angry about the parts of President Obama that he had to sell out. And given the choices that, come on, given his grassroots mission, there was no way <clears throat> he went in there thinking he was going to have to give up and concede in the ways, you know, in ways in which he did. And so that's a that's a sure. great example sure. of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's something I spent a lot of time thinking about and even talking about in the book. And that's, you know, these are the things that I wish people would have, you know, sat me down and talked to me about before I decided, oh, I got to go to corporate, you know, and, and even if you're going to go in, cool, again, reevaluate your relationship with work. When you remember that we were brought to this country to work harder than any human being has worked on earth for no money. No recognition and no control of your destiny or the outcome and outputs of your labor. Well, then you start to connect these dots over time and you recognize, well, the model hasn't really changed. Mm-hmm. It's evolved. There's better marketing, different branding. But at base level, a company's imperative is still profitability and productivity of its labor force with low overhead at cost. Mm-hmm. And so you wonder why we're paid 58 cents on the dollar. To, you know, in comparison to our white counterparts, you, you wonder why we have the highest uh, amounts of education, higher credentials, crushing it on all standards of innovation, invention, performance and output, but yet don't see that reflected in the leadership of these organizations. Well, why is that? Well, why would leadership replace its highest performing output of labor to now put you at peer level Ooh. and compete? So, but yet we think that because we have access, that now we are um, entitled to rising and getting into these positions. And I say, well, that only benefits those who control the company. And if you don't own the company, then you're giving all of your sauce, energy, expertise, passion, IT, all of that to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking, even if you decide that you're not an entrepreneur, okay, cool. What's wrong with doing what some of these other folks have done? Go in, learn the mechanisms of business, understand how these departments function with these departments and, you know, this impact and input has that output. And then take that and put that into application for your own venture or a venture that you and somebody else in your network build, you know, to now control the outcomes and the outputs of your labor. That's all I'm, that's all I'm trying to do as it pertains to, you know, helping black professionals or matriculating black professionals question some of the premises we've been sold. 
I, I love the idea of even having that as, as, a, as an option. Like I'm going in, I'm going to get what I need and I'm going to see as opposed to getting entrenched in that idea that this is going to lead to that and the other. When you know what you just said is at the core, you can't forget that. That's what's at that's the core. It. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's deep. the challenge is, J.D., most of us don't know that that's at the core. I know. Because unless you concentrated or focused on history <laughs> in, in your, educa- your education, mm-hmm which we know is devoid of, of an accurate or expansive view of history, then yeah, you would never even question, this is just what I'm supposed to do. And then it's reinforced by mom, dad, grandma, granddad, great grandma, whatever the example set before you were. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so, yeah. powerful. Yeah. All right. I'm going to do another quote. And yeah. I think the one that I read first was from Dr. Joyce DeGruy and I might've just broken them up because it was so powerful. I turned it into two. So Dr. Yeah. Joyce DeGruy said, said this about plantation theory. This is a quote. With laser-like precision, Graham fuses together our collective cultural memory and experience as he captivatingly describes the contract. So many of us signed a tacit agreement to don the cloak of cultural invisibility in exchange for the basement keys to the palace. Dr. Joy is an international treasure. Yes, she is. I must say. Yeah, that's a powerful quote. And that one had me rocked when I, when I read it, which sent it to me. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, the basement, the keys to the basement level access mm. is, is powerful. Because like I said, we've been afforded access, but it's not to the top. You're still, you're still going in at, at, at you know, subfloor level. So, sorry, let me, let me stop. Your thoughts. Your thoughts. Look. Let me pull back. Let, you know, I, I want to hear you go. I'm, I'm feeling it all. You know, the thing is, is, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of hers. I'm a fan of yours. I'm, I'm a fan of people who speak the truth and aren't afraid to speak the truth. Or I don't even want to say aren't afraid because we walk in a way that is not filled with fear. It's, it's filled with, yeah. with strategy. So when you've reached a certain yeah. point in your career, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like you reach a certain point in your career. You can change your strategy. Like I'm at the point in my life where I say whatever I want to say because I'm not worried about the consequences. But it took me a long time to get here. That's right. You know, and so you know she is there. You you are you are there, <laughs> and it's fascinating to see. Yeah. You know, it all just come out of us as we make it clear that those those keys are to the basement. They're not to the elevator. And so, what do you, <laughs> what do you think about that? You know, that's powerful to me. Yeah. Yeah, love it. My, my, my question is always, what would you do if you'd have known that before? Mm. And, and, and if you understood this and had a better vision or better perspective of what you're about to face, mm. then, then it helps you devise your strategy okay. accordingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And, and that's, that's really what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm calling. Like I wrote this book. Somebody asked me, who did you write this book for? I said, well, I wrote it for the Ryzen Junior Senior at an HBCU. But I also wrote it for the mid-level career professional who's going to a predominantly white, historically white institution or pedigree MBA school. Because I said, if you get black uh, aspiring professionals out of HBCUs, a clear picture of what you're about to face once you get out of this, this academic environment, then now you have a choice to make you know, a, a different decision. Even if you choose to go forward, cool, at least you now know what to expect and you're not blindsided and what comes with that. 
Conversely, if you are at, if you are a, a white student at an MBA program at a pedigreed institution, you are going to be tapped to lead by virtue of your pedigree, your uh, associations, your network, your relationships, and so forth. Now you have tools to give you perspective and insight into an experience of the most marginalized within your organization. And now you have a better chance of leading in a more humane, more informed way. And so you're catching two populations on different ends, but hopefully coming together and and improving the lived experiences of those who need the most help. Yeah, that's beautiful. I I love that idea. I love that idea. I think that's just exactly what needs to happen. Okay, I'm going to do another one. Actually, I'm going to paraphrase something. Okay. You are tired of subscribing to black (coughs) excellence when white mediocrity persists because it's not sustainable. And this is also true for people who are otherwise challenged physically and emotionally. So what what do you say more about that? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, when you understand who excellence benefits and you might feel some of that, right? You get maybe more upward mobility, maybe a higher salary. Maybe you move to a good neighborhood Mm. and put your kids in a good school. And of course, I'm air quoting that for a reason. Then again, what is the cost of that? And so excellence demands that you are twice as good for half the recognition and a third of the pay. And that only leads to, I mean, and this is studied, there are health outcomes um, mm-hmm. associated with that, shortened lifespan, stress, mental health issues, heart issues, cholesterol, like you name it, the impact that that weighted stress adds to our lives and our life expectancies. You know, if you knew that that was an outcome, would you still proceed to be excellent? Mm. And I, I've even asked, you know, some of my close friends and other black professionals, what would it feel like to only operate at mediocre level? And it's a concept unfathomable yeah. for those in, in corporate America and black professionals. Like, I don't even know what that would look like. Mm-hmm. I don't know if to be comfortable with that. We can't do that. I would even try because then we, you know, then we lose our job or right. we don't get the job or, well, how do you know? You never try. That's great. That is great. <laughs> now you have the opportunity to at least try it, see what it feels like. That see is the great. outcomes are. I don't know. But I know excellence doesn't necessarily serve us very well at the end. I used to, when we started saying black excellence, I used to put that uh, for people who, you know, progressed professionally in different systems. And then I got, I just got really turned off. It was like, why, why do we have to be excellent? And so when you say that, that was just like, oh man, that's perfect. You know, it yeah. is, it's, it's what yeah. we're led to believe. You know, we celebrate black excellence. That doesn't make sense. That's just another thing we've been fed, like resilience. That's another one we've been fed. Resilience just means you can keep knocking me down and I bounce back. My gosh, preach. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Preach. Well, you know, some of these, you're spot on. And one of the things I've questioned is, okay, we don't hear white excellence. But black excellence is ubiquitous. And you don't hear strong white woman, mm. but you always hear strong black woman. Why is strength not associated with white women? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> again, black women have had to be the strongest in society to bear the brunt of not only gender discrimination, but also racial discrimination. Mm-hmm. So well, these are the things that we, you know, unconsciously, you know, promote and perpetuate. Mm-hmm. But there's 
big time implications on the psyche for, for making, for normalizing these, these statements. Yeah, we have to start to take them out of our, just like people of color. I no longer say that. I say global majority. We have to start changing our language because we don't realize how much, you know, we've internalized these messages, which only feed the oppression that we live with and try to combat every day. So I'm with you on that completely. I read something that you said, and you know, it reminded me of something that just gets me emotional every time I hear it. It's like 1 million free black people who were enslaved died upon being freed. Man, that that's just so emotional for me. Is there anything you can add to that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's closer to one and a half million newly freed black folks, you know, in 1865 who were essentially released into society and told that the exact statement was reach hog or die. Mm. Those are your choices. <laughs> you better grow something, you better kill something, or or, or you're going to die. And so you're releasing us into a society that is not designed for us, does not want us here. We don't have the education to compete. We don't have a means to uh, viable uh, job opportunities to compete. We don't have homes, right? None of the basic necessities to survive. And then we're told essentially, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, a quarter of those 1.5 million died in the first year Mm. due to starvation, disease, and neglect. You know, you had a few that, you know, a few of that population migrated north, south, west, back, you know, to the Caribbean, south, north, and continent. But the majority went, ended up going back on the plantation and working as sharecroppers or basically one step above slaves for the next 100 years. And you saw the legislative process to make that okay, but not be called slavery, right? Through segregation, Jim Crow laws, black codes, and so forth. But that then set up and defined how we would exist for the next 100 years until the Civil Rights Act of 64. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these are the things, yeah, these are the things that, that often get overlooked in education. I agree. I agree. Do you have a copy of your book handy that you can hold up? I should have. I should have told you that. Matter of fact, I. Okay, right on. I I do. <laughs> right on. Now, would you read the subtitles? Yeah. I think it's so important. So, plantation theory. Right there. Yeah, right there. Here close. Yeah, it's perfect. The black professional struggle between freedom and security. Everything we've been talking about. Yeah. That's it. All right, but as, as we're winding down, I just have a couple more questions mm-hmm. for you. And I actually want you to finish sure. this sentence. Let's see. It's a phrase. Okay. Equality is not equity because. Because equality only assumes like for like. It does not account for the disparity between multiple players, right? Can't start you on the. Uh, you know, negative 50 yard line mm-hmm. and then expect you to be equal in the outcome of the race. If we're going to the, to the end zone or, you know, hundred meter dash right. or whatever the case may be. So equity accounts for the, the disparity between starting places mm-hmm. and equality just gives you same treatment. Yeah. I, I have to ask so many people to say this in whatever way they can, because it really needs to be reimagined in a way. Mm. Cut off at equality. And they forget to add 
what equity is. So I, I love your, your definition. That's great. Final note yeah, here you. is um, to talk about all the places people can find you and buy your book. Yeah. Yes. So I am all over the interwebs. Catch me on LinkedIn. I'm super active there. Just search John Graham Creative. Or you can support directly and buy the book at plantationtheory.com. As I tell people, I'm trying to send my children to space, not necessarily Mr. Bezos. So <laughs> okay, right on. I'm on it. Go ahead. Plantationtheory.com, that one. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter as well. Instagram, 1906. And that's Instagram as in my last name, Spello. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And otherwise, you know, um, might catch me on Clubhouse occasionally here and there. We'll stream. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah. Again, complete honor. So much gratitude. I knew even two shows weren't going to be enough to cover everything that I'd, I'd love to get into with you. So I'm hoping you'll come back and feed us Thank more you. of your knowledge because I'd really appreciate that. Thank you for that. No, I, I would love to, to come back. You have such thoughtful questions, Shady. Love your energy and everything you're doing. So thank you. And the honor is mine, certainly, for being invited. Well, how about we share the honor? Because you're so smart and open to sharing what you have learned. And this is how we change the narrative. So I just want to thank you again and, and let you know that I, I really respect everything you're doing. So thank you so much, brother. My pleasure, sis. Thank you. Okay, take care. Cheers. All right. Be well. Bye-bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.